you step inside the Monte Vista Hotel. It's cool and dimly lit. Quite a contrast from the bleach desert landscape you spent the last several hours driving through. You shower, washing away the desert dust. Once you've changed your clothes and dried your hair, you realize you're starving. You check your phone. 7.30. There's still time to grab something to eat. You head down the hall and press the elevator button. The elevator's slow. Your stomach rumbles. Frustrated, you poke the button rapidly. The antique lights in the narrow hallway flicker. The doors slide open, and you step into the tiny wood-paneled elevator. You hit the button for the lobby. The doors close. The elevator stops. The lights flicker out. You're trapped in a pitch-black box. Frantic, you hit all the buttons. Nothing happens. Suddenly, the lights switch back on, and the elevator doors spring open but your relief swiftly fades to alarm. This isn't the lobby. A dark tunnel stretches before you. You press the lobby button again, praying for the elevator doors to close. But that's when you hear it. You try to ignore it, but the baby's wails pierce you to your core. Against your better judgment, you step out into the tunnel. You rush down the dimly lit corridor. The baby's cries grow louder, disorienting. You're desperate now. You need to find the child. The corridor widens into a small room. There's almost no light, but you can just make out the antique wicker bassinet lying abandoned on the floor. From inside it, two dark eyes stare up at you. The source of the screaming. You scoop the baby into your arms to soothe her. There, there. You're here now. You'll keep her safe. The baby offers you a toothy grin. Time to find Mom. You turn back toward the corridor. But it's gone. Every wall is smooth. No doorways. No exits. You're trapped. But at least the baby stopped crying. Welcome to Haunted Places. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to an establishment where some guests never check out. The eerie Monte Vista Hotel in Flagstaff, Arizona. And discover why, to this day, it's haunted. Listen to more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as ParCast's other podcasts, on your favorite podcast directory. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and on Twitter, at Parcast Network, and at ParCast.com. Many of you have asked how you can support Haunted Places. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. 
The Hotel Monte Vista opened on New Year's Day in 1927 in Flagstaff, Arizona. The 73-room hotel was built of red brick in the Italian Renaissance style, and it quickly became a local hotspot. The phrase, meet me at the Monte V, was coined by Flagstaff residents. The cocktail lounge at the Monte Vista became a popular speakeasy until 1931, when the local authorities raided it and shut it down. But after Prohibition ended in 1933, the lounge reopened with a full-service bar. But it isn't just the living who enjoy Monte Vista's bar. Good morning. Freddie greeted the bartender as he eased into his favorite stool. The young woman glanced in his direction, then went right back to polishing glasses. Freddie didn't mind. He had a special rapport with staff at Monte Vista. He didn't even need to give his order to the bartender. He just waited patiently until she slid him a drink. Same thing every day. Whiskey on the rocks. Freddie sipped his whiskey remembering the first time he was at the Monte Vista all those years ago. He almost couldn't believe they got away with robbing a bank. But Freddy, Stan, and Joe were in and out before anyone had time to call the cops. A lone security guard had fired off a shot, but it missed. They dove into their car and peeled out of the bank parking lot. They drove all the way across town, not a single cop car on their trail. By the time they reached downtown Flagstaff, they were ready to celebrate. Joe parked, and they made their way into the Monte Vista. Freddy had always wanted to visit the hotel. Casablanca had filmed there. And now, here he was. They ordered glasses of the bar's most expensive whiskey, and they toasted their success. Not long after, Freddy parted ways with Joe and Stan. He wasn't sure what happened to them. He didn't really care. He spent most of his time in bars, drinking with pretty girls. Maybe he'd spent a bit too much time drinking. His memories had grown fuzzy over the years. The different bars, the women's faces, all blurred together. Freddy took another sip of his whiskey and surveyed the wood-paneled Monte Vista Lounge. He'd never forget this bar, though. He kept coming back. The bar was a reminder of his victory, of the day when his life changed forever. A young woman perched on the bar stool next to him, but she was staring down at her phone. He scooted his stool closer, hoping to catch her eye. She looked up and frowned. It was as though she was staring through him. He smiled at her but she just stared back at her phone, ignoring him. Freddy hated those things. Maybe he should tease her to get her attention. He snatched the cell phone out of her hands and put it down on the bar next to him. The woman did not respond well to his joke. Her eyes went wide, her skin paled. Freddy cursed, not the reaction he'd hoped for. Sorry, ma'am. He slid the phone back across the bar to her. The woman screamed, slipping off her bar stool. She grabbed her phone off the bar and dashed out of the lounge. A bead of sweat trickled down the back of Freddy's neck. 
she wasn't scared of him, was she? Two new young women entered the bar. Tourists from the looks of them. One girl had an expensive looking camera hanging by a strap from her neck. They slid into the two empty bar stools next to Freddy. The woman with the camera was snapping pictures, talking animatedly. She pointed the camera at Freddy, and he smiled for the photo. When she turned back to her friend, Freddy casually leaned toward them. He liked eavesdropping in bars. He got some of his best stories that way. The woman was telling her friend about a bank robbery. Three guys managed to get away from the police and drive all the way to Flagstaff. Then they stopped at the Monte Vista for a victory drink. Freddy dug his nails into the palms of his skin until they bled. Stan or Joe must have blabbed to one of their lovers about the robbery. How could they be so damn stupid? The woman was still talking about the heist. One of the robbers got shot by the security guard, she explained, but he was too high on adrenaline to feel it, until he sat down at the bar for a drink. He bled to death, right at that very stool. She pointed right at Freddy's stool. At Freddy. Freddy felt his throat constrict. He tried to think back to that night. He remembered clinking glasses with Joe and Stan. He remembered drinking and laughing, smiling at some girl dancing with her boyfriend. And then... Freddy took a deep breath and let it out slowly. He was fine. He was fine. The two women were scrolling through their pictures now, ooing and eyeing at the Arizona scenery. But then they paused. One woman gasped. Freddy leaned over them, peering down at the tiny screen. His whiskey glass slipped from his hand and shattered on the floor. There was Freddy on the screen, smiling at the camera. His striped shirt splattered with his own blood. Freddy looked down. Blood slowly spread across his striped shirt. He collapsed to the floor. He could hear them now. Joe and Stan begging him to get up, to hold on. But their voices were just echoes. His friends were long gone. And he was long dead. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. Now, the story continues. The Monte Vista Hotel's bar is haunted by the ghost of the bank robber who died there. But he isn't the only spirit that dwells at the lounge. A pair of ghostly dancers can sometimes be seen twirling around the room. Michael and Hannah relax at their table, sipping beers. Hannah keeps trying to get Michael's attention, hoping to interest him in a game of pool. But Michael's gaze is fixed on a lone pair of dancers spinning across the lounge's dance floor. Almost everyone at the bar is dressed in casual clothes. But these two look like they just left a red carpet premiere. The man wears a perfectly cut suit. The woman, a shimmering red dress. 
It matches the deep red color of her lips. She catches Michael's eye as she spins around on the floor, flashing him a smile. Her eyes seem to beckon him forward. Michael feels irresistibly drawn to her. He rises to his feet, takes a step toward the dance floor. Hannah grabs his arm. What are you doing? Michael suggests that he and Hannah should dance together, and Hannah laughs. Who is Michael kidding? Everyone knows he can't dance. Michael rips his wrist out of Hannah's grip. He can dance. In fact, he's going to go dance with that woman in the red dress right now. Hannah frowns at him. What woman? But Michael isn't listening. He marches over to the dance floor, waiting for an opportunity to cut in. The dancing couple moves together in harmony, as though they're one being. It's mesmerizing. It almost seems like sacrilege to come between them and break apart their perfect union. But then, the man spins the woman around. Her eyes meet Michael's, taunting him, daring him to approach. The song changes, slower, softer. Michael steps forward and taps the man on the shoulder. Before Michael can speak, the man spins the woman into his arms, he melts into the crowd, leaving Michael and the woman alone. She looks at him, waiting, eyebrows raised. Her hands are like ice. Sweat forms on Michael's brow. There's something a little off about her up close. From across the dance floor, she looked like an angel. But now, he feels like he's looking in a funhouse mirror. Her eyes are just a little too large, her smile just a bit too wide. Her limbs are a tad too long, almost spider-like. Her pale skin is stretched taut over her face, and Michael can almost see the bones beneath her flesh. The music grows louder. Without any conscious effort, Michael realizes he's gliding across the dance floor. The woman guides him through the steps, her hypnotic black eyes lock on his. The song ends. A new one begins, faster, intense. She leads him through a complicated series of steps. Somehow, he matches her every move. It's as though Michael's feet have taken on a life of their own. She guides him through song after song, through dances that Michael has never learned. Maybe he's a better dancer than he thought. Michael's feet begin to ache. His legs feel heavy. He can't take this much longer. He needs to rest. The song ends, and Michael tries to release the woman's hands. But he can't. Michael's heart pounds so loudly in his ears that he can't hear the music. He tries to speak, but finds he can't move his numb lips. He tries to run and finds himself twirling the woman into his arms. He tries to shove her away, but instead he pulls her close. Their bodies move in perfect unison. The woman's eyes gleam with malicious delight. He's her puppet, moving only where she wants him to go. His legs burn with pain. All he wants to do is lie down, to rest 
if only for a moment. But all he can do is dance. Many have seen a ghostly couple waltzing across the Monte Vista's lounge. They never tire, and they never stop. Far below the lounge, deep underground, is a maze of tunnels. They were built in the 1800s to connect the various buildings in Flagstaff. One of those tunnels connects to the basement of the Monte Vista Hotel. Employees making trips to the hotel's basement have noticed a dark presence. Johnny hated being on laundry duty. It meant wheeling the laundry cart down into the basement. It meant waiting for something to emerge from the shadows. All the other employees made fun of Johnny for his fear of the basement. His boss, Doug, was convinced he was lazy and put Johnny up for extra laundry room rotations. But Johnny knew there was something down there. He tried to be quick about shoveling the dirty sheets into the washing machine. No lingering, no looking around. Do the job and get out. Johnny wheeled around. What was that noise? All he could hear was the hum of the washing machines. He sighed with relief and wheeled his cart back toward the elevator. There it was again. Johnny wheeled his cart faster, hurrying through the dark corridor. He pressed the button and waited. And waited. He kept his eyes fixed on the elevator doors. Something tiny and furry scurried over Johnny's foot. He yelped, but we realized quickly it was only a rat. Then a swarm of rats scrabbled past Johnny, running over his shoes in their terror trying to get away from something behind him. Johnny pounded on the button, but the doors wouldn't open. He eyed the nearby stairwell door. Johnny raced for the stairwell, but he could hear footsteps behind him now. He reached the door, tugged on the handle, but it didn't open. Johnny pounded on the door, screaming for someone, anyone, to help him. He shivered. He could sense the presence now, growing closer, closer. Don't look, don't look, don't look. Johnny looked. Its skin was rotting and gray. Its eyes shone yellow in the darkness, like a wolf's. It opened its mouth, revealing rows of jagged brown and yellow teeth. Johnny could smell the blood on its breath. About an hour later, Johnny's boss, Doug, realized he was missing. Doug checked in with all his employees, asking about the missing boy. No one had seen Johnny since he took the laundry down to the basement. Doug scowled. Johnny was always making excuses about going down there, trying to weasel his way out of work. It was about time Doug fired that slacker. And if Johnny wasn't going to bring the laundry up, then Doug would just go down and get it. Doug took the elevator down. When the doors opened, Doug saw Johnny's laundry cart, abandoned and empty. He could hear the whir of the machines in the distance. Johnny? 
Doug called his employee's name. The lights flickered, but there was no response. Doug took a few more steps into the basement and stumbled over something on the ground. Cursing, he picked the object up. It was Johnny's shoe. The canvas was soaked in some sort of liquid. Water from one of the washing machines, perhaps? Doug held the shoe to the light. It was dripping with blood. Doug hurled the shoe as far away from him as he could. It clattered to the ground somewhere in the darkness. He turned and ran for the elevator. But the elevator didn't work, and the door leading out of the basement was locked. As Doug jiggled down the doorknob, he heard footsteps. Johnny? Doug turned around. He caught a glimpse of gray skin, yellow eyes, and rows and rows of teeth. We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, back to Haunted Places. Hotel Monte Vista has many rooms named after celebrities who once stayed there. But room number 220, named Susie Sue, in honor of the lead singer of the Banshees, that room has a ghost of its own. Alan opened the door to room number 220. A long day of college tours had sapped all his energy. He was looking forward to a good night's sleep. His daughter Katie was staying in the room next to him. He heard her knocking on the wall in Morse code, tapping out, hello. Alan rolled his eyes. Why couldn't she use her phone to text him like a normal teen? He normally found her technophobia rather endearing, and sure, it made her college application stand out, but his exhaustion was making him cranky. Alan closed the curtains and laid down for a nap. Alan could hear the knocking with his eyes closed. Loud. Impossible to ignore. He called Katie. Stop knocking on the walls, he ordered her. Katie hesitated to answer, confused. She wasn't knocking on the walls. Yes, she was. Alan could hear her right now. But that was impossible, Katie insisted. She was down the hall getting a soda from a vending machine. She wasn't even in her room. The knocking instantly ceased. Katie hung up on him before he could answer. Typical teenager. He sighed and tried to calm down. What was that smell? Moldy pennies? Rotting garbage? He knew he should have sprung for the Hilton. A crimson drop landed on the bed. Alan looked up. A second bloody drop landed on his cheek. Dangling precariously from the chandelier were long strips of raw meat. Some looked gnawed on by something with very sharp teeth. Flies crawled over the meat, buzzing, feasting. Shocked, Alan jumped. He fell out of his bed, the blankets tangling around his legs as a meat slab slipped off its hook and smacked him right in the face. Alan flung off the slab of meat and rubbed the juice and blood off his face. What the hell? And that's when two cold hands pinned his leg in a vice grip. Alan yelled and flailed. 
He couldn't see behind him, but the hands were frigid. He felt the sharp edge of a knife against his calf muscle. Alan gazed upward at the meat, still dripping from the chandelier. And suddenly, he realized just what kind of meat it was. The invisible hands pressed the knife harder into his leg, slicing into his calf. Alan was being carved into strips. Alan woke up on the floor. He leapt to his feet and looked around. No meat hanging from the ceiling. But his sheets had been hacked to pieces, as though someone had taken a cleaver to them. He heard someone knocking on the door and hurried to throw it open. Katie stood in the doorway, soda in hand, looking concerned. She asked if he was all right. Why'd he hang up on her? Was she in trouble? Alan nodded in reassurance. He was fine. But then Katie's eyes went wide. She pointed at Alan's leg. He was bleeding from a deep cut in his calf, as though someone had tried to slice it off. Let's move one floor up to room 305, the Bon Jovi chamber. This room contains one of the hotel's most famous ghosts. Darren is disappointed when he checks into room 305. The room seems small and ordinary for a place that's supposed to be haunted. Hopefully it pays off and he doesn't lose subscribers. He sets up the camera so it perfectly frames the wooden rocking chair by the window. He's promised his viewers a live stream that they'll never forget. According to the legends, guests sometimes see an old woman rocking in the chair, waiting for someone. But no one knows who she's waiting for. Darren checks the viewfinder in the camera. Perfect. He starts the live stream. He keeps up a running prattle, trying to keep his fans entertained. But as hours pass and nothing happens, Darren's fans start to pepper him with comments and questions on the stream. Why is nothing happening? Boring. Where's the ghost? Do something, Darren. Summon the spirit. Darren raises his eyebrows at the viewers. Are they sure they want him to summon the ghost? Don't they know it's dangerous? The replies on the stream come so fast that Darren can barely keep up. But they all say the same thing. Summon the ghost. Okay, okay. Darren reassures the viewers. He clears his throat and calls out to the spirit. Asks the usual questions. Who are you? Why are you here? The chair rocks, as if caught in a breeze. Darren holds his breath. Darren's mouth grows dry. But then the chair goes still. Nothing happens. Darren apologizes to his viewers. It looks like the elderly woman doesn't want to make an appearance tonight. Darren ends the live stream and shuts off the camera. Frustrated, he kicks over the rocking chair. It lands on its side. Feeling a little better, Darren heads to the bathroom to get ready for bed. As he brushes his teeth, he notices a strange, metallic taste in his mouth. 
he spits out blood. And then, a tooth. Darren puts a hand to his mouth. At his touch, another tooth comes loose. And another. They tumble out of his mouth into the sink. Until he has no teeth left. Darren looks in the mirror and gasps. His hair is white and wispy. His face is lined and spotted with age. His lips flap against his toothless gums. Darren blinks, and his reflection is back to normal. But that's when he hears it. The rocking chair. Probably just creaking in the breeze from the air conditioning. But then Darren remembers he knocked the chair over onto its side. He rushes out into the bedroom. The room's light bulb shorts out as he enters. The television switches on by itself to static, filling the room with a faint glow. He glimpses her faintly in the shadows by the window, a hunched figure rocking in her wooden chair. Darren finds himself stepping out of the bathroom and walking toward the ghostly figure in the rocking chair. Darren's throat is so dry he could barely speak, but he forces out the questions. Who are you? What do you want? Slowly, the figure in the chair raises her head, revealing a shriveled elderly woman with startling pale eyes. Her pale eyes met Darren's. She breaks into a toothless smile, a possessive smile. I've been waiting for you, my darling. She digs her nails into Darren's wrist and pulls him close. If you visit the Monte Vista, be careful who you invite into your room. You pick at your nails, uncomfortable. The Hotel Monte Vista has many ghosts, the hotel's bellboy explains. You ask for room service, not a history of the hauntings at Hotel Monte Vista. But the bellboy's giving you both. You nod, half listening as he tells you about the little boy who only appears to other children. And the murdered sex worker, who takes vengeance on any man who dares abuse a woman in room 306. Your eyes linger on the bellboy's deep red coat, with its shining gold buttons. You're more interested in his distinctive uniform than his ghost stories, but you try to seem enthused. You want to be polite. If the hotel's so haunted, you ask him, how come you've never seen a ghost? The bellboy's eyes twinkle. Don't give up hope, he advises. Maybe you'll see a ghost before you go. As you check out at the lobby the next morning, you thank the clerk for the excellent room service. She frowns at you, scrutinizes your bill. What room service? You tell her about the bellboy, the one in the fancy red coat. The clerk goes white. They don't employ a bellboy in a red coat. At least, not anymore. She pulls out an old black and white photograph. There's your bellboy, smiling up at you. The clerk whispers, He's been dead for 70 years. You shiver, 
feeling someone's eyes on you. You turn and see the bellhop watching from across the lobby. He smiles, tips his hat, and disappears. If you ever visit the Hotel Monte Vista, there's good odds you'll meet a ghost on your stay. Let's hope you meet one of the friendly ones and not one of the spirits who wants you to extend your stay to forever. Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. A new episode comes out every Thursday. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. Everyone always asks how to help the show. And if you enjoy Haunted Places, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you listen. We'll see you next week. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler, additional production assistance by Carly Madden and Maggie Admire. Haunted Places is written by Candace Rogers. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs>